This morning we are not only celebrating in our usual worship time together, but we have the special privilege of celebrating the sacrament of baptism together. And that's going to happen um, just after the service today. So sort of connecting with what Pete has just shared, baptism is one of those ways God affixes his name and reminds us and makes clear to us that idea that we are his, that we belong to Father, Son, and Spirit. So we're going to to think about um, what that baptism means, what the significance is of of that action this morning. Just in case you didn't uh, get a clear picture of where and when that's happening, uh, we'll leave here, uh, well, leave here at your own leisure, but around 11.30, so this will wrap up in about 45 minutes, we'll be done here, and then uh, there'll be fellowship time. But at 11.30, we're gathering over at the Davis Farm, which is just uh, on the other side of Jericho. If you don't know where that is, and you'd like to come, just grab me, or you know, probably 95% of the people here could give you directions to the Davis Farm. Um, but we'll gather down by the river. There's a, a turnoff just before the barns there uh, on Silly Hill Road. And we will, um, we will celebrate uh, the baptism of, of Chris Value this morning. Uh, and after that baptism, then we'll also stay around. And there's a wonderful kind of swimming hole there on the riverside. Um, feel free to bring a picnic lunch if you'd like to, to stay around and just um, visit and, and enjoy that time of celebration. As we think about the, the idea of what baptism represents, I want to share a kind of illustration with you that may feel a little bit like a non sequitur, but stick with me here for a second. Curious, how many of you have ever experienced an earthquake firsthand? How many of you have been through the experience of an earthquake? I have, I think, maybe twice in my life can remember earthquakes that I actually noticed, you know, or experienced some kind of visible shaking or or tremors. What's incredible to me, though, is that there's actually quite a bit of movement under our feet within the earth itself that we don't always perceive or or take time to notice. I did a, a quick... Google search, and I found uh, an institute that that measures seismic activity. And I learned that in the last seven years since we moved here to Vermont, there have actually been between 15 and 20 earthquakes in Vermont that have had Vermont as their epicenter in the time I've lived here. And I don't think I've noticed a single one of those. And again, that would be fairly minor or small seismic activity. But the the way that we know these things have actually taken place is that scientists have developed these instruments called seismometers. And you can see a a picture of one of them there on the screen. And seismometers are able to detect movement, movement happening actually deep under the Earth at a, a tectonic level. And they take these, these shiftings and changings, and then they, they depict them, they translate them into a visual picture called a seismograph, right, with all of these little lines and, and waves on them. And so seismographs are a picture of something that, that is largely unseen or unfelt at times to many of us. 
something that's happening beneath the earth, right? But they're a, a visual way of, of experiencing it or witnessing it. Seismographs make the unseen visible to us. And in the, in the Christian church, God has also given us ways of taking the things that are significant and important, but deep and unseen, and making them visible to us. Taking the, the inward work of his spirit and making it tangible in a way that, that we can name and experience and, and know. And the church over its history has called some of these things sacraments. Sacraments are a way of making the unseen work, the unseen grace of God visible to us. St. Augustine famously has defined a sacrament as an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace or gift from God. Say that again. He calls a sacrament an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace or gift from God. So when we experience a sacrament, we're given something that we can touch or we can see with our eyes. Sometimes a sacrament is even something we can taste with our lips. But in, in that action, God is expressing to us how he is working in, in the deeper places, in the unseen places of our heart and our spirit. And so at at 11.30 this morning, we're going to head over to the Davis Farm, and we are going to share in a sacrament called baptism together. And that's a, that's a visible thing. It's a physical action, right? We're going to gather together as God's church along the riverside. We're going to watch Chris and I go into the river. Chris is going to go under the water. He's going to come back up out of the water. And then we'll gather around him on, on the riverbank there and pray for him as our new brother. And so we're going to be witnessing this, this visible physical action, a sacrament of the church. But as we witness kind of the external outward working of baptism, I want us to be thinking about what are the inward realities that that, that gift is expressing to us? What's actually happening in this act of baptism, maybe at an unseen or at a spirit level or a heart level. What invisible inward graces, to use Augustine's language, do these outward actions tell us about? And so I want to I wanna look at four different passages in the New Testament that speak about baptism and, and what they say is happening as we do this practice, this sacrament with, with one another. Let me pray for us as we, we read these passages together. Lord Jesus, we celebrate today this incredible gift. And I pray that there would be great joy as we do that. I pray that as we share in the baptism of our brother, Chris, um, that if we are, are not yet baptized, that it might speak to us about a, a decision and a gift that's, that's available to us to receive from you. Pray for those of us who have already received that gift of baptism, that this would remind us and rekindle in us 
the knowledge of, of what's happened and what's happening in us because of, of what you've called us into, to share in through that gift of baptism. May the words of my mouth now as I teach and preach, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The first passage I want to look at is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. So if you can turn there, um, near, the, near the start of the New Testament there. And the, the first sort of pictures we're given of baptism are in all four Gospels, early in the account of those four Gospel writers. They tell us about this moment when Jesus goes to the Jordan River, and he, he goes there to find his cousin John. John, of course, has a reputation for being a baptizer, John the Baptist. And John has sort of innovated, it seems, this new practice in Israel, this thing called baptizing. And I want to look at this passage and think about what, what's happening in, in John's baptism and in the act of Jesus receiving baptism. Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and he saw the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Mark is arguably the earliest gospel writer, and so this may be one of the very first records we have of baptism, what it's about, and what, what took place. Clearly, baptism is, is something that involves water and, and the Jordan River specifically here. And if we, if we pull back and we think about the whole of the scriptures and we think about God's story, we know that water figures significantly into important moments in the way God works with his people. We can go back to the story of the Exodus, and when God led his people out of Egypt, he, he leads them to the Red Sea, and then incredibly, he parts the waters so that they can go through. And it, it's through walking through those waters that they are brought into salvation, into God's rescue. We know that later, the book of, of Joshua, right, when God's people are ready to enter into the promised land of Canaan. Yet again, he calls them to step into, at that time, the, the floodwaters of the Jordan River. And as the, the people, as the tribes go into the river, again, the waters part. And they enter into this new gift that God has prepared for them. So here in Mark's gospel, we have John who's gone out into the wilderness. He's in that same Jordan River. And he is there getting ready for another God moment to happen. And we're told that John begins to baptize. He calls the people of Israel out to the river to, to receive this baptism of repentance, of, of turning away from their own mind and, and thought about what they desire. And they're turning their hearts and aligning with the way of the Lord. And they're doing that because John has been promised that as as they go, as they repent, as they make ready, as they are baptized, they will be made ready to see 
God's Messiah when he comes. To see the one who will lead them out of bondage and into the freedom of salvation in a new and even better way than Moses did. And so John is, is out there at the, the Jordan River. He's busy doing this preparing work of baptizing and calling people into repentance. And, and one of those days that he's at the river baptizing, Jesus shows up. And Jesus goes into the water of baptism with everybody else. But on the day that Jesus enters the water, something incredible takes place. We're told that instead of the waters parting like they did in the Red Sea or the Jordan previously, it says on the day that Jesus is baptized in the water, God tears apart the heavenly realms instead. He separates the heavens and he pours out his spirit upon Jesus. And as he pours his spirit out on Jesus, God speaks these words over him. He says, Jesus, you are my son whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. Out of, out of all the things God could say at that moment of the heavens parting, at the moment of Jesus' miraculous baptism, the one thing he wants to make most clear to us is the identity of his son, Jesus, and how much he loves him, how delighted he is with his son. The reason God raises up John and starts this whole practice, this whole sacrament of baptism in the first place, is for this moment, right, when we get to hear about Jesus, the son of God. What's interesting to note, though, is that after this moment of Jesus receiving his own baptism, John's work begins to fade into the sunset. Right? John baptizes fewer and fewer people. And what we're told is that Jesus and his disciples actually go out and they begin to baptize their own disciples, their own followers. But now they're not just baptizing a baptism of repentance or preparation. They're not looking for the Messiah anymore, right? Now, Jesus baptizes people in his own name. In the name of Jesus, the Son of God, he baptizes people. And so, when we enter the waters of baptism, you and I, we are receiving this gift of sonship from Jesus. Because we're baptized into his baptism, the words that God speaks over Jesus, you are my son whom I love, in whom I, I take great delight. Because we are joined to Jesus in that baptism. That same statement, that same relationship is made possible for us. Baptism unites us to the perfect sonship of Jesus. It invites us to experience life as God's beloved daughters and sons. And so, Chris, today when you go into the waters of baptism, you're going to, to, to come from those waters and, 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 and enter into this reality that you are now the beloved son of God, with whom he is greatly pleased and, and in whom he takes great delight.
And we're going to, to come around him and affirm that that is true as his brothers and sisters. So this, this first gift of baptism is that we become the children of God, the sons and daughters of God through Christ's own baptism. But the second gift of baptism is one that I think is, is laid, a foundation is laid for that in our sonship or in our daughtership in Christ. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul writes to, to all of us who have received the, the calling of, of baptism, the calling of the Christian faith. And he says that all of us who share in this baptism together have now been made into one new family. Let me read that passage for you, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Paul says, so there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's logic here is pretty simple. He says that if, if through baptism we've all been made the sons and daughters of God, then, then those who share the same father are, are reckoned as siblings, right? If you have the same father, you are brother and sister now. And so through the sacrament of baptism, we are given the gift of a new family, one spiritual family, what we call the church, right? And, and in, in this new family, our lives are joined together as one body, one new reality, Paul says. The idea that we, in following Jesus, become this new family was an upsetting, it was a revolutionary idea to Jesus' first followers. Right? The idea that I would call someone from a different household, a different economic status, a different race, my brother or my sister, Right? It, it was considered ridiculous and even offensive in the eyes of the world. Right? How could people who are so outwardly and visibly different from, from myself, how could they be my brother or my sister? And yet God has gone out of his way throughout the New Testament again and again to say, this is true. This is a deeper reality than you can see or understand. It says all of us who share in the baptism of Jesus, are one family. We're all bound up together. And any of you who've tried to follow Jesus for any length of time know how necessary this family is. You can't follow Jesus by yourself. We need a spiritual family to encourage us. We need a spiritual family to challenge us. We need a spiritual family to show us our blind spots. We need a spiritual family to love us like Jesus loves us. And so when Chris goes under the waters of baptism this morning and he comes back to the shore there, we are going to gather around him as a family would. We're going to welcome a new family member into our midst and we will celebrate accordingly. And as we do that, as we, as we pray over him, we'll be celebrating that he is a son of God, that he is joined together as our new family member, but also that he has been brought into the gift of new life that baptism represents. 
this inward change, this inward exchange has taken place. The Bible says that when someone goes under the waters of baptism, that actually a kind of death has taken place. That they are joined to the death of Jesus himself. And so we're, we're buried with Jesus in baptism. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 4, it says this. It says, we were therefore buried with Jesus through baptism into death. And so when we participate in this sacrament, there's a, there's a giving away, there's a taking away, there's an exchange in which the, the life we lived before up to that moment is left behind in the river, right? That, that life of separation or independence or of belonging to ourselves, it's, it's buried in a kind of watery tomb. And Paul says when we leave the waters of baptism, that, that old life is meant to stay there. It's meant to be put off, put to death. But as the, the theologian and philosopher Dallas Willard has written, he says, once that's happened, once we have been forgiven of our sin, once we've put off that old life, we still have a life that we must live in Christ. He says, Jesus is about the redemption of our actual life from actual sin. And so it's, it's by entering into his life, Willard writes, by entering into the life of Jesus, which is still ongoing on the earth today, that we are delivered from our, our former sin and our former way of life. What he means, I think, is that our life in Jesus, as we leave behind that old life, is about a, a series of, of ongoing choices and practices and ways of inviting God's Spirit to bring us out of death and into new life and to, to reform us. So that passage in Romans 6 continues. It says, in baptism, we're joined with Christ in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The gift of baptism charges us to live a new way, to live a raised from the dead by the power of Jesus kind of life. So that the person who comes up out of that water now fully belongs to the person of God. And in the way that Jesus defeated sin and defeated death on the cross and through his resurrection, he offers to do that same work in us and with us. Right? Those who are baptized are now meant to be holy as Jesus is holy. Those who are baptized are meant to begin living the, the, the quality of eternal life now so that we are ready for life in eternity with him. It marks the beginning of this, this growth process, this sanctifying, this making holy and making new and making alive process in us. And I think that that process is described in the fourth gift of baptism that we receive in that moment. And that's the gift of discipleship. 
Look with me at Matthew 28. In the Great Commission, right, as Jesus appears to his disciples, he's been raised from the dead and he meets with them to give them his sort of final word, his final command. It says, Jesus came to his disciples and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And as surely as I am with you always, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. In the Great Commission, Jesus challenges us to hold two things together. He says, baptism and discipleship are meant to be one in the same thing. They're, they're meant to be inseparable. Baptism is, is the beginning of that discipleship journey. It's our saying yes to following Jesus. Baptism is the point at which we say yes to growing in lifelong obedience to everything Jesus teaches and commands us to do. Right? So any of us who've been baptized, we should consider ourselves apprentices to Jesus. And, and we see this pattern throughout the New Testament. We see it again and again in the book of Acts. Right? We see it in, in Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch along the road at Gaza. We see it when Paul meets Lydia by the river in Philippi. Right? There's an expression, there's, there's a, a connection of, of the story of Jesus in a heart moved to faith in Jesus, and then the next step is to be baptized. But, but the baptism isn't the end of that journey, it's, it's the beginning of that journey. Right? What follows is this, this invitation to discipleship, to become followers in the way of Jesus. It's a lifelong calling. And that gift of discipleship that we're invited into at our moment of baptism is a journey that Jesus promises to be always with us in, right? always alongside us, always teaching us and helping us and reforming us until the very end of the age, right? when, when heaven's reality will come to earth and completely and finally transform us. So as we prepare for this gift and this celebration of baptism this morning, in just about an hour, I want you to, to be thinking about these four gifts. That as we come together with Chris, we're celebrating that, that God, as we visibly witness this baptism, God's doing this, this inner and deeper work in him. But he's also done and doing that inner and deeper work in us we are his brothers and sisters in that baptism. You and I share in the beloved sonship of Jesus. And so God claims us as his children. He says he delights in you and I. God says you and I are a spiritual family together. I am your brother. You are my sister. This is, this is a reality Baptism reminds us that we are constantly putting to death the life of sin so that we might live together the life of resurrection that Jesus makes possible. 
And we do that by actively choosing the pathway of discipleship. That we are now following Jesus together in everything we do. We pray for, for the remainder of our worship this morning. Lord, our very existence is gift and grace from you. But even greater than that is the, the renewed and the new and the transforming life we receive as gift from you through Jesus, your son. May that identity, may that calling, may that life overflow with abundance in this spiritual family. And we give you thanks for these gifts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.